welcome, welcome, welcome to the Bandroom Podcast. My name is Dylan Maddox. And I'm Kate Nishimura. And how is Kate Nishimura doing this fine... What day is it? Where am I? <laughs> Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm doing just fine, Dylan. How about you? I'm just... I'm doing great. Look at this. I'm living in Arizona wearing a sweater right now. Can you imagine? That's, that's pretty exciting because... I thought you would just be like a ball of sweat for the entire oh. year, every season, every, yeah. <laughs> and I've only been made fun of a couple times, so I've been making the joke that the temperature is finally reaching what my body is built for and I can... Canadian I can comfort level. Yeah. 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 But no, it's <laughs> awesome. been good. Uh, and, and, you know, as you are, keeping very busy. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that brings us to our first announcement. <laughs> One of two announcements that we'll be making in this intro before Kate was on board and before uh, I was even doing interviews, this podcast only came out once a month. And then once the pandemic hit, uh, had a little bit more time as most people did. <laughs> so it was coming out every week and that was that was great for a long time. But as, as uh, Kate and I get busier and our lives and our work come back a, a little more, we've, we've talked and we've talked ad nauseum on this podcast about the importance of mental health and, and keeping uh, everything reasonably in balance. So with that, uh, just letting you know, the listener, that we're going to be going to a bi-weekly schedule. So you'll get the Bandroom podcast in this form, this large main episode, every two weeks. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that you can't have the Bandroom podcast every single week. You could become a patron of the podcast, and then you get the bonus episode every other week. So you get a hit. You get a hit every time. It's great. But we're just letting you know, just so you don't, weeks down the, the, the line, you, you're not crying, wondering, where, where are Dylan and Kate? <laughs> it's all I need on my Wednesday morning. Yeah, we're still there just every other second week. Yes. We're hoping that this will help us maintain our own sanity a little bit more going into this academic year. And uh, hopefully it'll mean that we're able to really put a lot of energy into the episodes that we do create. And yeah, um, it should be should be good. Yeah. And not, not only the episodes, but, you know, we've we've been working on uh, developing more resources and things like that for mm -hmm. all of you. And this will allow us time to put into that, uh, which is a great thing. Um yeah. Speaking of great things. There's just too many. Too many great I know. things. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the other great things uh, that we have to mention is that we have a new sponsor, uh, mm -hmm. a new uh, form of support, which is really, really exciting for us. So we are uh, now partnering with IMC Interprovincial Music Camp. And um, this is... A music camp that's offered in the summer every year, and they have a lot of really exciting offerings for music students. Um, and it's it's great to be supported by IMC because I imagine that a lot of people who are listening, if you're a music educator, you may have students who would be interested in attending IMC. If you're a student yourself and you're listening, uh, this may be something that you would want to check out or recommend to your friends, uh, teachers, and you know some of the faculty maybe at IMC are the kind of people that we have worked with and maybe even spoken to or will speak with in the mm -hmm. future. So it just makes a lot of sense um, for us to work with 
groups like this. And we're really, really thankful to have the additional support from a music-minded organization like IMC. So thank you to the IMC folks and for everybody who supports all that we do. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, immensely grateful for their support. Um, you have to come to Canada if you want to do this <laughs> camp. Uh, but wonderful facilities located uh, in Camp Manitou, uh, which is kind of in the Muskoka Perry Sound region of Ontario, Canada. It's beautiful country mm -hmm. uh, and beautiful facilities, as I already mentioned. And you'll hear it again <laughs> in our commercial. But, uh, <laughs> but definitely something worth checking out. So thank you, IMC, uh, for your support. And speaking of other great things, uh, we had the great opportunity to speak with Dr. Karim Simon, who is a professor of music at the University of Prince Edward Island, where I am from, uh, where currently he is serving as the chair of the music department. But when he's not doing that, he's teaching clarinet and saxophone. He's teaching music education courses and conducting the UPEI Wind Symphony. Uh, and uh, this has just really been a great opportunity for me because uh, being a, a junior high student, even in Summerside, Prince Edward Island, I have the opportunity to hear uh, Karam's group on a number of occasions. And as a high school student, being having access to their wonderful CDs, which we've talked about in the episode, uh, was a great Influence and it was really the first kind of high quality wind ensemble that I heard as a student and and showed me what is possible. So it was great to hear about Karim's path and all that he's done and what he's continues to do. Yeah, it was it was really nice for me to witness the moments of conversation between you, Dylan, and Karim because I could tell how excited you were to be speaking with someone who's had such an influence over your own path. It's just such a beautiful chance to, you know, any any opportunity that we get to actually speak with people who have had that kind of impact. Um, but it's also especially nice for me as a friend uh, to be able to see <laughs> you having that kind of experience. And it was my first time uh, meeting him. And I, I learned a lot and gave me a lot to think about. So it was it was really cool. Yeah. And I, and I yeah. should note that there's like there was so much that we had to leave out. Uh, yeah. He does all this work. We talk about him as a clarinetist because that's that's what he is, and he, he, he we constantly <laughs> hear him going back to that. Um, but he's also been a conductor of the National Youth Band of Canada and is in demand across the country as an adjudicator and clinician. Like we didn't talk about any of that, but yeah. definitely uh, a conversation worth listening to. Um, mm -hmm. But before we get to that conversation. Could you please consider doing us a favor? And, and what might that favor be, Kate? Well, if you could make sure that you have subscribed to the Bandroom Podcast on whatever listening platform you are on right now, if you can head over to Apple Podcasts, if you have access to that, and leave us a rating and a review particularly a, a good one, a five-star one, and, and a couple of words about what the podcast means to you. That would be super, super helpful to us. It really helps others to find the podcast, helps us grow our audience, and gives us some you know meaningful feedback as well. So that would be super awesome if you could do that. And thank you so much to everybody who has already taken the time to like and subscribe and follow and leave reviews and ratings and, and all that. It, it really does go a long way. Absolutely. We've already seen a couple of, of ratings come in over the past couple of weeks, so thank you for leaving those. Uh, the other thing that we did today, as usual, is record a bonus episode with Karim, where he tells us a story that has been in the vault 
for 15 years. Can you imagine? <laughs> no one has heard this story before. It's a good one. So if you want to hear that, you can go visit patreon.com slash bandroompod to learn more. That's patreon.com slash bandroompod to learn more. But enough about this. Without further ado, here is our conversation with Karim Simon. Here we are for another exciting Bandroom podcast. Today is a very special day. I'm being selfish right now, but for me, uh, because I'm talking to someone who, though I actually haven't talked to so much, has had a great influence on me going into music and being a band conductor. So I want to welcome Dr. Karim Simon from the University of Prince Edward Island. Welcome to the Bandroom, Karim. And we're especially, I know I've already said it off camera, but I want the people to know, especially appreciative of your time now, because uh, though I thought maybe you might be on sabbatical, you are not. You're the exact opposite. You're doing more things. You're the chair of music at the University of Prince Edward Island this this uh, this year. So thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I'm delighted, delighted to be here. Yeah. Uh, and we'll start where uh, we always start. Where, why, and how did your musical journey begin? Okay, so um, I grew up in Newfoundland, and uh, most of my childhood was in St. John's, Newfoundland, and I was a student at St. Patrick's Hall School, okay. uh, a school for boys run by the Christian Brothers. And when I was nine years old in grade four, I happened to join the school band. I joined the school band because uh, I, one of my older brothers, um, who's four years older than me, mm -hmm. played in the band. He played trumpet. Mm -hmm. And he seemed to be having a good time playing <laughs> trumpet in the band. So I thought maybe um, I might in, enjoy the same thing. Right. And so I want to play saxophone. Apparently my hands weren't big enough, so I was given <laughs> clarinet. And um, anyways, um, my path in music began. And uh, I stayed in the band program uh, throughout uh, elementary school, junior high, senior high school. And uh, when I was in grade nine, I auditioned for the Kalos Youth Orchestra, Youth Orchestra in St. John's, Newfoundland. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get in that. And uh, there was an incredible peer group in that organization at this time. So uh, we're talking the early 1970s. And many of uh, the people who I admired ended up going uh, to music school and, and, and specifically to Mount Allison University, uh, <laughs> a path that I, I, I would later take. And uh, Dylan, I know you uh, are um, uh, a Mount Allison Alum, uh, yeah. a proud Mount yeah, Allison a Mountie, alum. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. And I, um, I should mention that while I was in high school, 
uh, my last year of high school, I was playing clarinet in uh, my school band, the Brother Rice High School Band. Mm-hmm. I was playing saxophone in another high school band in town. I was playing in the youth orchestra. Oh I was gosh. playing in the St. John's Symphony Orchestra. I was playing in the Newfoundland Regiment Band. So I was, <laughs> I was just doing yeah. all of mm-hmm. this playing Mm -hmm. and uh all i wanted to do was was play the clarinet and be involved in ensembles where 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 i could develop my my craft Mm -hmm. um so i went on to mount allison university um where i got my first formal instruction on clarinet Mm -hmm. you know the interesting thing is i have three siblings all of whom received music lessons when they were growing up, but I didn't. And I'm 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 the professional musician yeah, look at me now. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so uh, and while uh, at uh, Mount Allison, I thrived. Um, I played a lot. Uh, I happened to. Uh, get involved in the education program there mm-hmm. uh, because I was told, you know, you should have a music education degree behind you because you never know. <laughs> so I just went by the advice that I was given. I didn't want to teach. <laughs> All I wanted to do was play the clarinet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so uh, I would graduate from Mount Allison, and I went on to Northwestern uh, to study to study clarinet. I went to Northwestern. I I received a Rotary International Graduate uh, Fellowship to study at Northwestern, and uh, I was in clarinet performance uh, throughout my master's degree uh, there, and you know. Uh, some of the leading American clarinetists were teaching at Northwestern, mm-hmm. uh, principal yeah, clarinetist of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. That's a pretty good band, by the way, the Chicago <laughs> Symphony yeah, Orchestra. Yeah, okay. Uh, and um, and uh, the, the clarinet class was absolutely outstanding. Mm-hmm. But the, the thing that influenced my career most at Northwestern was John Painter. Wow, yeah. John Painter was director of bands, and I happened to, to play in one of the leading bands at this school. And um, I learned so much about music making, about uh, rehearsal technique, and about conducting from this man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took several of his courses, uh, advanced conducting courses, uh, band arranging, okay. uh, but I, I was not one of his graduate conducting mm-hmm. fellows. Um, the thing that you have that, that I recall from my experience at Northwestern was sitting in the wind symphony in total fear the <laughs> entire year I was there. Right. And um, Mr. Painter was old school. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wouldn't 
hesitate to chew you out or tear a strip off you mm -hmm. at any point. And uh, I, I recall during one rehearsal, and uh, we had a wonderful brass section in the Wind Symphony, and uh, all of whom came to Northwestern to study with the principal players of the Chicago Symphony mm -hmm. Orchestra, who at that time were teaching at Northwestern. And uh, Mr. Painter stopped the rehearsal one day, and he chewed out everyone <laughs> in the brass section. And I'm sitting there in fear, thinking, <laughs> am I next? And uh, then he said, okay, ladies and gentlemen, let's do it again. And so they played. And it was so much better. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought at that moment, number one, Mr. Painter, you were well aware of what everyone in that section was capable of, and mm -hmm. you called them out for underplaying because it was so much better. But number two was, does the end justify the means? Mm -hmm. Surely there's another way to optimize the playing of the members of your ensemble mm -hmm. without creating this climate of fear. Yeah. The unfortunate thing for me in all of this is that when I started my teaching career, I taught like Mr. Painter. Mm -hmm. So so we'll get to that in just a bit. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I graduated uh, Northwestern uh, with my master's degree. And um, at the time, uh, my fiance and I were looking for work. Mm -hmm. And she was finishing her degrees in music and education at Mount Allison University. <laughs> and, uh, you know, at that time, when you applied for jobs, you had to write letters, put them in envelopes, <laughs> put a stamp on the envelope, what a concept. and fire it up. <laughs> so, yeah, what a concept. Yes. Wow. There you go. And so... I happened to write all these school boards, most of, of which were in Atlantic Canada. And I, I heard from one of them. And uh, this was a school board based in Corner Brook, Newfoundland. Mm -hmm. And they were very much interested in me. So um, when I was being interviewed, uh, I said, you know, I'm interested in locating to a community where my fiancé can also get work. Right. And so I was asked, well, you know, what, did, what can your fiancé do? Well, she's graduating with uh, music and education degrees and, and wants a job in um, el teaching elementary music. And they said, we have three openings right now. <laughs> wow. Have her apply. And uh, a few weeks later, this is late May, early June of 1980, um, we received telegrams <laughs> offering us jobs in wow. Corner Brook, Newfoundland. 
So awesome. uh, we uh, set a wedding date for <laughs> the middle of August. We figured we could live off the wedding gifts until we got our first yes. paycheck. Yes. Excellent. And off, off Corner Brook, we went. I had no idea what I was getting myself into when I went to Corner Brook. <laughs> and I want to go back to what I mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast. All I ever wanted to do was play the clarinet. Yeah. And among the things um, that I was trying to get while I was at Northwestern was a clarinet playing job, mm -hmm. particularly with what was now the Newfoundland Symphony Orchestra, because they were in the process of hiring uh, a core group of professional mm -hmm. musicians. And I was waiting to hear from them. Nothing. So we moved to Corner Brook. And quite frankly, uh, both my wife and I had so much trepidation about teaching. We really didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. <laughs> and uh, But we had committed to the job. And um, about a week before I started uh, teaching, I get, I get a phone call from my sister mm -hmm. saying that the executive director of the uh, Newfoundland Symphony Orchestra wants you to call them. They have a job for you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So uh, I didn't call them. I, I, I was committed to this mm -hmm. work. Right. So, in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, I was an itinerant teacher of instrumental music. Mm -hmm. I taught at four different schools, mm -hmm. and uh, none of which had a, an appropriate uh, room for teaching music. Uh, the high school uh, students happened to walk down the hill to the adjacent junior high school mm -hmm. uh, where there was a room, uh, just a regular classroom that was used for music. At one of the schools, I taught in the cafeteria <laughs> right after lunch. Perfect. Uh, no, <laughs> not perfect. Not perfect. Um, yeah, I... Um, Teaching at four schools, it was really very difficult for me mm -hmm. uh, to bond with other members of faculty mm -hmm. and, and to really bond with the students. Uh, my first two years in Cornerbrook, my high school band rehearsed Tuesday and Thursday afternoons from 4.30 to 6 o'clock <laughs> right after school. Right. That, that, that was the only way I could get it to work. Yeah. So uh, our master plan, uh, my wife and I, our master plan was that we would work for two years and then we would both go back to graduate school, my wife to get her master's mm -hmm. and me to work on my doctorate. This bundle of joy showed up <laughs> and uh, that changed plans. Right. Um, I... I got to go back to school. My wife accompanied me looking after the bundle of joy. So I, I went to UBC. Mm -hmm. nice. And again, for clarinet performance, uh, oh. I, I worked with uh, a, a, a terrific uh, 
clarinetist there, uh, Ron DeCant, and uh, who had a significant influence on my musicianship. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, uh, when I got there, I approached the wind band conductor, who was uh, Martin Berenbaum. And Marty uh, was a virtuoso trumpet player. And was touring the world, uh, concertizing. Mm-hmm. And it's it's his rendition of the Brandenburg Third Concerto that's with the Norton Scores, oh. which mm-hmm. as an undergraduate student, you know, I had studied. Yeah. <laughs> and just such a beautiful player. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I said, you know, if there's the opportunity to do some conducting, I'd I'd appreciate the opportunity. Mm-hmm. One of his uh, graduate trumpet students, uh, Dylan, you might know the name, Ed Bach. Yeah. Uh, and, okay, and uh, was the conducting TA. Anyway, one rehearsal, uh, he said, Karen, why don't you do a little conducting, see what you got. Uh, after that, Ed didn't do any conducting at all. <laughs> I got to do all the <laughs> wow. conducting when Marty was on tour. Right. right. But Ed got paid for it. Okay. Ed, Ed was the TA. Okay. So anyways, but I, I enjoyed my experience. Um, here's what's important about that experience in terms of my craft. So when I was my first two years in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, uh, with my high school band, I taught like Mr. Painter. Uh-huh. So there was this climate of fear in every rehearsal. And, and um, I recognized that. And I, I did my best to change. Uh-huh. And by the way, uh, if any of my high school students <laughs> happen to be watching this podcast right now, <laughs> I want you to know that I'm really sorry. Really, (laughs) really sorry. You deserved better. Um, Anyways, so (laughs) while I'm I'm at UBC, while I'm at UBC, uh, I'm having to conduct an ensemble of my peers. And that had a neutralizing effect on me Mm -hmm. in terms of my podium behavior. Mm -hmm. I became a kinder, gentler Karen. (laughs) And uh, subsequently, uh, so I spent one year at UBC, finished most of the academic requirements for the DMA degree. Mm -hmm. I returned to Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, uh, re-energized with uh, all of this new skill and musicianship that I had developed. Right. Uh, I no longer had band rehearsals on in the afternoon from 4.30 to 6 o'clock. I had them on Tuesday nights from 7 o'clock to 8.30 in evening rehearsals. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, it meant uh, my students were no longer tired at the end of the school day. Mm-hmm. They arrived at rehearsal having been well fed. (laughs) So I was able to accomplish more in that 
one evening rehearsal a week than I was able to accomplish in um, two rehearsals at the end of their school day. And so that pattern of Tuesday night rehearsals with the Herdman Collegiate Wind Symphony would continue for my remaining eight years in Cornerbrook. And my successor continued <laughs> that tradition until he retired three years ago. My successor happened to be a high school student in my first oh, wow. high school band class in Cornerbrook. Oh, cool. He's retired before <laughs> me. So, oh, dear. okay, I don't know if there's a message in oh, there no. somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. You know, Kate, I often think back to my time at music camp and how important that time was not only in my growth as a musician, but as a person. I feel the same way. My first time performing original music in front of a big audience was actually at a music camp, and many of the people I met at camp are still friends and colleagues of mine today. And 2022 marks the 60th anniversary of the Interprovincial Music Camp. That's right, 60 years of being Canada's most comprehensive music camp. IMC offers specialized camps for all levels of band, orchestra, musical theater, rock, jazz, and songwriting. Students can learn from faculty that include members of major symphony orchestras, Juno and Grammy Award winners, touring musicians, and music educators. Located at the beautiful Camp Manitou on Manitowabing Lake, in the heart of the Muskoka Perry Sound region of Ontario, Canada, IMC facilities are second to none, with fully equipped cabins, amazing food with a special diet chef, I, I might need one of those, and daily concerts by world-renowned faculty and guest artists. IMC offers many traditional camp activities we know and love, including swimming, sailing, water skiing, beach volleyball, and much more, as well as evening programs for the campers each night after the faculty concert. IMC provides young musicians with comprehensive and exceptional musical training. With faculty members who are some of Canada's finest performers and educators, they bring a wealth of teaching experience and performing skills and are passionate about sharing their love of music with young musicians. Don't miss the opportunity to grow, be inspired, have fun, and make memories that will last a lifetime. Stay connected by following them on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter to learn more about how you or someone you know can celebrate 60 years of the Interprovincial Music Camp. Visit campimc.ca. That's campimc.ca. Anyways, I uh, completed my uh, DMA um, uh, in 1985. So at the time, I, I was 27. I had taught for four years, public school. I had my DMA. I had my master's. I had education degree. I had my undergraduate music degree. And then I played the waiting game. Uh, <laughs> I, I coveted a university teaching position. Mm -hmm. uh, and we were growing our family. And uh, I applied for a variety of uh, sabbatical replacements. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was interest. Um, but when I crunched numbers, what they were 
would have paid me. I would have been uh, below the poverty line yeah. for a family mm -hmm. of five. Right. I was not going to subject my family to that. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I'd heard about uh, a position available at the University of Prince Edward Island. So here's the thing. I didn't know the University of Prince Edward Island had a music department. <laughs> uh, and still to this day, there are people who do not know that the University of Prince Edward Island has a music well, department. Well, after this, so, surely. Yeah, there you go. Okay. After this, a few more people yeah, just might at least know. two. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Okay. So, um, so my career uh, at UPI began in 1991. And uh, I was hired to teach uh, woodwinds and courses in music education. Mm -hmm. uh, there wasn't any band uh, assigned to the position. Right. Uh, my colleague, um, Greg Irvin, our brass instructor, uh, conducted uh, the concert band at that time. And um, I think in my fifth year, uh, he went on sabbatical. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was assigned the band. And uh, after my year with the band, there within the department, there was a redistribution of work, and I was permanently assigned the uh, duties of uh, wind band director. Right. And immediately upon that, I changed the name to the Wind Symphony. And uh, I conducted uh, the UPEI, UPEI Wind Symphony um, up until I assumed the duties uh, of music department chair uh, mm -hmm. just over a year ago. Right. Wow. So, okay. So, uh, you should understand that um, uh, I have never taught conducting at the University of Prince Edward Island. <laughs> and, yeah. and that my training... My training is not formally in conducting. Mm -hmm. It's as a clarinetist. Yeah. So uh, among the things that I did to get myself skilled in the craft and artistry of conducting, I, I, I went to all these summer conducting mm -hmm. institutes, workshops. Uh, I happened to meet Eugene Corporon, uh, who was brought in to um, a Newfoundland and Labrador music educators conference at some point in the 1980s. And, and at the time, Gene uh, uh, was teaching at the University of Northern Colorado. And I was drawn to this man's facility in conducting and his understanding of the art of wind band making. Um, I happened uh, early on in my career at UPEI, I went to a summer workshop at the University of uh, Wisconsin mm -hmm. in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, I was drawn there uh, primarily because Jerry Olson was there. Jerry Olson was a visiting professor at Memorial University uh, a year or two prior to this. Okay. And he, he ran this conductor's workshop in the summer. So I went down. Well, guess who was their featured guest 
presenter, Eugene Corcoran. <laughs> so I got to work with him a little bit. Nice. And his, his teaching really resonated with me. A couple of years later, I went to the University of North Texas summer uh, conducting uh collegium, mm -hmm. um, uh, a two-week workshop, and, and I went there a couple of times and got to work with not only Gene Corporon, but Dennis Fish Fisher, Jack Stamp, okay. and um, Craig Kerkoff. Mm -hmm. I would follow Craig Kerkoff to the University of Minnesota at, <laughs> on two occasions for his summer conductors mm -hmm. workshop and uh, learned uh, much, so much mm -hmm. from him. Uh, going to these con summer conducting workshops takes such courage. Uh, many of these guys are old school in terms of the way that they instruct. Mm -hmm. And I took my licking on the podium <laughs> from these guys, uh, really, and as, as did my peers who also uh, would go there from uh, go there to get podium time and and to develop their craft. I don't teach that way. I would never teach that way. I would never humiliate a professional on the podium, but we were all um, all had the strip torn off us all the time. <laughs> And I thought, gee, Karim, this got to be a better way. Uh, I was fortunate. I got in touch with uh, Dale Lanus. I had a sabbat sabbatical coming up. And I was headed to Missouri to study with Dale Lanus uh, at the Univers University of Missouri. And Dale, uh, I gave Dale a call one day, and uh, he asked me to give him a buzz. And he said, Karim, I've got some bad news. I'm leaving the University of Missouri. You know, you're welcome to come here and, and study with some of my associates. They're very good. Mm -hmm. Or you could come to Winnipeg. I've accepted a position <laughs> at the University of Manitoba, and your Canadian dollar will go a lot <laughs> further oh, there. Yes. And so uh, I, I head off to uh, the University of Manitoba, and I spent uh, a few months in the fall of 2001 uh, working with Dale there. Mm -hmm. Subsequently, um, I would get in touch with Michael Haithcock, who went from Baylor to the University of Michigan. Uh, I so much admired uh, his teaching from the podium and his conducting chops. And I was no longer going to su subject myself to podium time at a workshop. So I got in touch with him and I said, if I came down to Ann Arbor, would you spend some time with me taking me through your stuff? So I went to Ann Arbor. I had with me uh, videos of my conducting. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Uh, over a period of three days, I spent five hours with this man learning his stuff. And it also had a profound impact on uh, my conducting craft. I would later go to the University of South Southern University of South Carolina Orchestral 
train orchestral conductors training institute mm -hmm. something like that uh, a three-week institute to learn how all the guys over in the orchestral realm did things so this is how uh, I developed my craft and artistry as a conductor right so uh, I have 25 years as conductor of the UPI Wind Symphony. I've been doing some conducting with the Prince Edward Island Symphony Orchestra in recent years. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm grateful for all of this experience. So, you know, that's my path. Yeah. I, this, is, okay. this is fascinating because, um, as I'll probably record in the intro, uh, just I, knowing you since I was a, you know, a grade seven student, grade seven, and, and not knowing not knowing anything about you, yeah. uh, and even now, like to kn to know your path is so close to mine because I I ended up going to do my master's in performance and being yeah. told to get all these kind of supplementary conducting experiences to to kind of balance that. But um, yeah. and it just goes to show that 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 piece of advice that Julian McKay always gives out. Become the best musician you can be before you try to tell other people to do it. Rings true in your path for sure. There you go. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, Jillian gives good advice. Yeah, she's okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, really. Yeah. Okay. To, yeah. to hear all of those, like the who's who of, of wind band conducting that you've been able to yeah. work with and be influenced by. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, those who are, are listening to this podcast, don't ever think that you can't get instruction from the best in the field. Mm -hmm. You just have to reach out. Yep. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, and, there, and there's just so, there's so much I want to unpack. But what, what you said about Painter, uh, you know, I, I have experienced that in my own teaching to a point where I came back from a workshop uh, and and subsequently led by fear also for a, for a, a good couple of months there you go. <laughs> and it, it there not you go. working. But but anyway, yeah, it, it really you know you can't create beauty if there's a culture of fear in the room. Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, my teaching has evolved for the better as far as that's concerned. Yeah, that's wonderful. It seems like almost every episode we talk about the importance of community. Often maybe our guests bring it up to why they became interested in band. Community is a big part of why many of us do what we do. Absolutely, and that's why I love our new partnership with the Canadian Band Association, to share an opportunity for you to be part of a national community of band directors, musicians, and educators. And becoming a member is easy. By joining your provincial band chapter, you automatically become a member of the Canadian Band Association. No matter if you're in British Columbia, Newfoundland and Labrador, or anywhere in between, there is a band association for you. Yes, even my homeland of Prince Edward Island. They started a new one, which is very exciting. Membership benefits include access to the Canadian Winds Journal, monthly e-news, national insurance program, national youth band audition discounts for students, access to national awards and musician certificates. Not to mention all the great events your own provincial chapters will hold. Conducting workshops, community band events, reading sessions, workshops, and more. Support band and music education in Canada through supporting the work being done by your local chapter. 
to learn more about how you can become a member of the Canadian Band Association, visit canadianband.org chapters to find info on how to connect with your provincial chapter. That's canadianband.org chapters to learn how you can be part of the Canadian Band community. And speaking of creating a culture uh, in any way, uh, what is your approach to fostering a culture of community and excellence, specifically within a small community, whether it's, you know, your time teaching in Cornerbrook or at a university that many people have not heard of or don't know that has a music program? You know, what is your approach to uh, <laughs> to creating that kind of culture you in go. your spaces? Oh, wow. Okay. So, um I've got good musicians at the University of Prince Edward Island Mm -hmm. in the Wind Symphony, had very good musicians. Uh, You know, if you have good musicians, you're playing good music, and there's good direction, uh, what more could you want? Um, You have to understand the motivation of the players in your ensemble. They show up because they want to play. So you just let them play. Mm -hmm. Get out of the way. (laughs) Let the musicians play. And um, with the UPI Wind Symphony, I got one two-hour rehearsal a week. That's all. Mm -hmm. What I learned from Mr. Painter in terms of how to rehearse, he was very efficient about rehearsing. Uh, I applied that uh, to my school teaching in Cornerbrook and to my my teaching at the University of Prince Edward Island with the Wind Symphony there. Uh, So much so that for the players in uh, the UPEI Wind Symphony, at the end of the rehearsal, they are physically and mentally exhausted. They have to work that hard. Yeah. I don't talk very much in rehearsal. Okay. They play. I'll say a few things. Let's continue playing. Mm-hmm. Um, we, with one rehearsal a week, we can only prepare basically one program a semester. Mm-hmm. But I want the ensemble to get the most out of that one program. So we perform four times in the fall, three times in the winter semester. Uh, We happen to bring our program to various uh, schools in Prince Edward Island. And every fall, there's this weekend tour in which we might go, uh, leave on a Saturday, uh, rehearse in the afternoon, uh, if it were in Halifax, at, maybe at a high school there or at the Halifax uh, Central Library. And then we'd perform that evening, stay in a hotel. The next day we go to another locale, mm-hmm. rehearse, do a concert, come home. Uh, and uh, that's all we could afford. And, and this was the annual formula. But you know from your own experiences of going on band trips that there's a lot of bonding mm-hmm. that goes on. And, and that's a good thing. Yeah. And just as importantly, I get a Wednesday night rehearsal, then I get a Saturday night rehearsal, a Saturday night, 
performance, a Sunday morning <laughs> rehearsal, a Sunday afternoon performance. <laughs> so that's like five functions mm -hmm. right. within what five days and so the band is kind of cooking uh, <laughs> by this point yeah. and it, we're able to pivot off that and the rehearsals afterwards the demands made of the players uh, are much higher and they respond right mm -hmm. i happen to have a lot of community people who play in the ensemble they come back year after year after year and uh they like to play uh and i think they like the environment that is created and you know for many of these people some are whom you know have families of their own that yeah. weekend trip uh <laughs> it's like they can be college kids again <laughs> but yeah. you know it's only for a weekend and then they have to go back to the reality of their lives and uh you know this has happened for 25 years 25 trips um uh we also have this annual uh cd project uh that's that's part of the community building and you know uh when when this started uh many years ago uh other ensembles were capturing their performances on disc and i thought well if that's what everyone is doing maybe i should be doing it too mm -hmm. so we did it one year and then we did it the next year <laughs> and then we did it again and then it became this tradition mm -hmm. this expectation and then i thought about crafting uh crafting our season's repertoire around the cd project and uh what sort of music interested me and um and then i was responsible to selling that <laughs> to the membership of right. the ensemble and and they would always buy in yeah. and and kate and dylan i want you to know i invested every year so much time in repertoire selecting and um uh and i was able to come up with works that that would uh sound good with this particular ensemble um our cds are simply put uh um, the best of our performances in any given year. Mm -hmm. So I would just take the uh, whatever the best tracks were, just put them on a CD, yeah. and uh, that's how they were produced. Okay. So um, we didn't have the resources to uh, go into uh, a proper recording studio and get everything just mm -hmm. so yeah yeah so um yeah uh i might add um you know dylan you've you've heard the wind ensemble at arizona state university <laughs> where you are yeah. okay and it's an ensemble made up primarily it's all graduate students yep. and and it's a pretty good ensemble <laughs> and uh when i was at northwestern 
the um, the wind bands there were very good. I wanted to create at the University of Prince Edward Island uh, the culture that those wonderful ensembles at the big American schools had. Mm -hmm. And while it's on a smaller scale, um, I had these expectations of my musicians and of the ensemble in general. And I've been blessed with players who um, met the demands that were placed on them. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and for that, I'm very grateful to them all. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing to, I know I've I'm going to keep repeating myself, but it's amazing to hear that. And like thinking back to whenever I begged my parents to drive me to a UPEI wind symphony <laughs> concert and just to sit there and hear some of my friends like Laura McLeod or my late teacher, Dan St. Amon play in the group. Right, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. and to think about, wow, like this, like that, the, your ensemble was the first high level wind ensemble I, I heard and like to know what was possible uh, kind of blew my mind um, mm. but but to hear um, hear you talk about building community so often and it goes back to even the how you speak of music education there's so many people who say well I'm just a music educator I don't need to put the time into performance I just live oh, in a small place I don't have to do this we can't do this but to hear you yeah. not you didn't even use the word can't once you're like no this is what we're <laughs> no. going to do we want to bring yeah. the quality no. of of these big American programs to to our little cradle in the sea that is Prince Edward Island <laughs> yeah. um, and to, to think about all of the the, the really great musicians that have come out of it and through those CD projects, the first, I, I'm going to, I just, I want to take this moment, Karen, just because I don't know when the next time I'm going to talk to you is, um, <laughs> is uh, uh, when I was in high school, my teacher was Mark Ramsey, now Dr. Mark Ramsey. There you go. There and you go. He's he, he handed such me a, a CD. fine musician. Yeah he's, yeah, he's the best. But he handed me a CD yeah, and it was is. called Bugs. And Bugs. <laughs> which is what which Roger is, Cicci. Yes. Yeah. Which was one of your CDs. And I remember taking it yeah. home and like burn well back then, burning it to my, my desktop you computer. You burned it. You burned <laughs> yeah. it. I was cheap. There you did okay. Cheap high school There student. you go. But but to I have understand. but to have access to that uh, was amazing. And then to mm -hmm. think about what it does for your players is also like just going through that process and though it's not in the studio, yeah. but you know, having the focus to know that this is going to go on a CD is is a wonderful yeah. thing. So I just want to thank you for for doing what you've done on PEI and and the people that you fostered. It's really it's really amazing, and I'm just so grateful mm -hmm. for for that outlet of of creativity and artistry on the island. It's who knows how many different paths that you've triggered, Karen. There you go. Yeah. And, you know, uh, people have been very good to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I certainly have benefited from my involvement uh, with all these people. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it, it has been a privilege and continues mm -hmm. to be a privilege for me. Yeah. Uh, we, had, we had learned so much about your, your path 
and and the clarinet played a very strong role in that path, uh, stronger than I th- I ever knew. So it's, it's <laughs> mm. this next question is even even better than what I thought. But we're wondering. Okay. <laughs> we're wondering how do you how do you maintain uh, such a high level of clarinet performance as well as conducting artistry and and how does Karim the performer influence Karim the the conductor and educator and and vice versa. Okay, so. You know, it's 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 just Karim the musician, <laughs> and you know I have my clarinet performance hat and I have my conducting uh, hat. So, um, in terms of how my clarinet playing affects my conducting, okay, if you would just imagine what it feels like to be a musician in an ensemble. And I um, think, you know, if I was the conductor, this is what I would want from the conductor. And so many conductors fail to see that. Um, and um, as, as a musician uh, playing the clarinet, I'm just, I'm just very detailed oriented. So, you know, when I get to play things like, you know, the Nielsen clarinet concerto with the Mm -hmm. PEI symphony orchestra, Mm -hmm. a Brahms clarinet sonata, or I'm playing the, uh, you know, the principal clarinet part in Kodai's dances of Galanta, Mm -hmm. you know, um, these sorts of things take considerable time, effort, attention, uh, to sculpt. And, uh, I, approach my conducting much the same way. And so with a clarinet performance, you you know, you're you're physically playing the clarinet. Uh, With uh, wind band conducting, it's all in the score. I have to study the score and know all of the detail that's in the score. And when you have one rehearsal a week, you better get it right <laughs> the first time. Yeah. And um, so, uh, you know, uh, among among the things, and and I, I'm I'm deviating from the question. Dylan. <laughs> um, uh, w- one year with the Wind Symphony, uh, we were doing Dmitri Shostakovich's Festive Overture. Mm-hmm. Okay. I love this piece very much. It is a busy piece. Yes. And I thought, okay, I need to anticipate where all the problems are going to be in rehearsal so that I'm prepared. So there's this thing called YouTube. And (laughs) on YouTube, you can find... Pretty bad recordings of just about (laughs) (laughs) anything. And so I went looking for bad recordings of Shostakovich's Festive Overture. And I studied these performances. And I happened to flag all the passages that were misplayed as a means of anticipating Mm. what problems my own players 
might have, what challenges they would have to contend with. And then armed with that information, I'd be like a ninja in (laughs) rehearsal going after those passages repeatedly over (laughs) and over and over until we got it right. And you know, I'm very pleased with our CD recording of Shostakovich's Festive Overture. It it turned out really nice. It's a good strategy. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you talk to any members of the Wind Symphony, uh, they will know that story because I I, I would remark, you know, I've studied a lot of bad recordings in preparation (laughs) for tonight's rehearsal. (laughs) uh, So it's what I had to do. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, as, as a solo clarinetist, uh, you have to be so careful in, um, with each and every sound that you make in, in terms of uh, shaping a phrase, sculpting the sound, so that it is just so. And that, I feel, has informed my uh, conducting practice because I take that same approach. Mm-hmm. I, I, with a new score, I will study in detail how the music is to be paced, how it is to be shaped, and as a, so that when, I, when it comes to rehearsal, I have a vision of the music for the members of the ensemble. And one of the challenges I am faced with, with the UPEI Wind Symphony, is when it comes to traditional repertoire, the whole suites, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, many of the players in the ensemble have played these wonderful pieces and have heard them played the same way and that's how they (laughs) want to play it. Okay, so along comes this Newfoundlander (laughs) who wants to take a different approach with this music, Mm -hmm. who happens to see the music in a different light. Now, keep in mind, like the whole suites, I've studied the multiple recordings by Fred Fennell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um and 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 others, you know, uh Gene Gene Corpron's recordings, uh Kirchhoff's recordings. And these are absolutely wonderful recordings. I see some things differently and try to bring them out. And that, by the way, is one of the things I learned from Craig Kirchhoff. Uh, he happened to play during one of his sessions. Uh, a recording of uh, a transcription of the Bach Fantasia in G Mm -hmm. and uh, a piece that I thought I knew well until Craig's recording brought out some of these inner voices. And I went, but of course that's (laughs) how it should go. And um, that had a profound effect on, on how, I study a score now. Beyond the obvious, is there something hidden or uh, a a more 
profound rendering of of this music that can be achieved. So, hey, oh, that's that's great advice, and uh, and and to think because um, it even it even happened that. Uh, this past week, there's so many times where we get into a rehearsal or now in, in my life studying conducting that I'm like, I'm the conductor and I have to, I have to think like a conductor. But like the first thing that you yeah. said, I, I am Karam the musician. Uh, that is a very important thing. But I remember I was in a lesson today even and I'm, uh, I had a rehearsal today for the Grand Dahl Trombone Concerto. And wow. uh, we were doing, it was just like, I don't know, quarter notes on two and four or something but uh jason said how would how do you want that to sound and i was trying to give some elaborate answer and then he just went how would you play it as a trumpet player so to just to think but always think back to your musicianship and you spoke about it with uh, when you think about phrasing exactly. or those kind of things so we we kind of have to get out of our own heads sometimes and just go yeah. back to music you know i i will often have my clarinet with me in rehearsal mm -hmm. and Play it like this, and I'll demonstrate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all the language in the world um, uh, uh, may serve you well, but if you can get there and demonstrate, everyone will go, oh, that's what he wants. Okay. <laughs> and, and, you, and, and you move on, and you move on from there. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Very good. All of this resonates with me as well, uh, although I'm not in a position as a conductor or anything, but as a composer who has not ever formally studied composition, your whole path just, you know, really rings true for me as well. There you go. And I'm also a clarinetist, but Are you? more specifically a, a bass clarinetist. <laughs> Good for you. Uh, and I have been working on this clarinet concerto, and I had to remember recently that Perhaps picking up the clarinet will help me figure out how to write this piece. <laughs> so <laughs> going right. back to, it's you know, being a musician first, being a clarinetist first uh, over whatever gig it is that we have now. Um, it's just a such a good reminder. Yeah. There you go. Okay. I still want to play. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's all I want to do. Exactly. All I want to do is play. Okay. Okay. You know, you know, as a player, as a player, all you have to do is work on your part. Yeah. And make certain uh, if, you, if you're collaborating with other musicians that it fits in. And but when you're a conductor, you're responsible for everything. <laughs> and uh, so, the res you know, it's just a different level of responsibility. For sure. Yeah. So we were going to ask about all of your recordings with the UPEI mm. Wind Symphony, um, but thankfully you've you already spoken about that, which is awesome. And so we'll make sure to include a link where listeners can go and check out those recordings because there are Good. so many wonderful recordings. And I know that that's going to be an excellent resource for a lot of people. Um, and it's, it's so great to hear about, you know, how many have been influenced by those recordings, Dylan himself included in that. <laughs> uh, so that's just, just a really heartwarming thing. Um, but we'll, we'll move to our final uh, question of this wonderful conversation. Uh, and before we do that, I'll just remind our listeners that we are going to go on to record a short bonus episode for our Patreon community <laughs> as well. Uh, none of us yeah. know what the topic will be of this exciting <laughs> bonus episode as per usual. So you'll have to go uh, check that out on Patreon. And you can do that by going to patreon.com slash bandroompod where you can hear 
our bonus conversation. Before we do that, uh, Karim, it's been so lovely to hear you speak about your career and your experiences thus far. And you've already given us so many things to think about, but if you could distill all of that to one piece of <laughs> advice for music educators or just musicians in general, what would that be? Okay. Uh, one thing, just one thing. It could be two. <laughs> oh, there, oh, there, there are, there are so many things. I know. <laughs> um, you know, okay. My students' greatest obstacle are my limitations. Mm. Let me repeat that. My students' greatest obstacle are my limitations. So, consider, you know, have you weaknesses anywhere? And if you do, look after them. Go get a lesson. If, if you're a public school band instructor and, you know, you really don't understand the whole idea of cross-grain slurs with trombone players, <laughs> go get a lesson with a trombone mm -hmm. player. You know, if your flute chops are weak and your flute players are playing sharp all the time, there's a reason for that, by the way. <laughs> it's not a question of just making that flute longer. <laughs> you know, uh, fixing, fixing intonation is, is not a one-dimensional thing. Yeah. Okay, there's a lot going on and 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 with flute. And and I'm just telling you, you know, some of my weaknesses that I had to work through. <laughs> flute intonation is is a product of air speed, air size, air direction. And you need to understand how each of those three components of the air, size, speed, and direction affect pitch. <laughs> and and when you come to understand that, then you can demonstrate for, for your students and you can diagnose their problems so that now your flute players don't have to pull out two inches to get that one tuning note in tune mm -hmm. while the internal tuning of your instrument suffers. Mm -hmm. yeah. So um, that's probably a little more than <laughs> one little thing. But, let's get Cam uh, fired up. Let's, yeah, let's <laughs> go. <laughs> there you go. Good luck with that. <laughs> no, that, no that is, it's, it's really great advice. And like, I think we were even talking about it uh, last week with David Lum um, about kind of being, being a, a forever student, so to speak, and just getting that, getting that pride thing out of the way. <laughs> and mm -hmm. even, even that you're, even though you're a pro, you know, there's always, always room to improve uh, and, and to, to address those weaknesses. So it, it's a, a wonderful way to, to end this episode. And I just want to take this opportunity uh, to thank you again. I feel like every, after every answer, I've just been like, thank you so much, Karen. But, but it's, <laughs> it's been a real treat uh, to, to speak you with you today and to get to know more about your path and get to know about the, the, the guy who, who really kind of pushed me off of the the music making and band cliff and i thank you, you for go. that uh publicly now so thank you so much karen for for everything you do in prince edward island everything that you do in, in the atlantic canada and how that has trickled to the rest of the country the rest of the world my god <laughs> so thank you so much 
Uh, thank you for this. And I might add that you both are creating paths of your own right now that are very substantial and that are in that are influencing a great number of people, not the least of which is this platform that you have created. So uh, thank you for this opportunity. Thank Thanks you. So much. Thanks so much for spending time with us in the band room. If you want to learn more about anything we discussed in today's episode, check out the links found on our website, bandroompod.com. If you liked what you heard, make sure to subscribe to the Bandroom Podcast. Give us a rating and a review and tell all your friends about how much you enjoyed it. If you really love the show, maybe you should consider becoming part of our Patreon community where you can support BRP and get some extra incentives in return. Or you can buy some sweet, sweet BRP merch, helping to offset podcast hosting costs and investments into new equipment so that we can continue to bring you great content and great people. Follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube to keep up with what's on the go. If you have any thoughts on today's episode, leave us a comment on our website, bandroompod.com, where your comment might be featured on a future episode of BRP. The Bandroom Podcast is produced by the wonderful Jonathan Wong. And our theme music is Skyline, composed by EKR Hamill and performed by Dr. Gillian McKay and the University of Toronto Wind Ensemble. Stay safe and be well, bandies. Thanks again for stopping by the band room. <laughs>